0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 8. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. Brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, October 27th, 2021. And I'm your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by my interviewee for today's episode, Jacob Paulson. Thanks, Riley. So, some of this was inspired by the fact that uh, last week Matthew kind of put me in the interview interviewee chair and uh, asked me a bunch of questions, some takeaways, things I learned, things on my mind. After I returned from the uh, USPSA Carry Optics National Championship. And I thought, you know what? We haven't done a rapid fire with uh, you guys. And so today for episodes 7 and 8 of season 4 here, I turn the tables around. (laughs) So today is a rapid fire episode with Jacob Paulson. We're going to get his take on a bunch of questions Many of these will be the same questions or similar questions to things that I asked Matthew and that you asked Brian Eastridge and myself in other rapid fire episodes. Some of these will be slightly different or unique questions just for you personally, Mr. Paulson. We'll get your take. I'm looking forward to it. And it looks like we have some great support on the live stream today with viewers on Facebook and YouTube. Connor's excited to be back. So glad to have you guys and I'm looking forward to it. But first, today's episode sponsored by Ready Up Gear. ReadyUpGear.com is the place, is the site, where if you want to get or check out gear, such as accessories, bags and packs, cleaning supplies, flashlights, pouches, hearing protection, and other training tools like dummy ammo and whatnot, ReadyUpGear.com is where to go. In fact, Jacob, another... And as, I guess a more specific episode sponsor, if you will, is the Ready Up Gear Soft Seals uh, Gel Ear Cups or Gel Ear Pads that we sell. Why don't you tell folks kind of what those are a little bit and, uh, you know, why they might want to check out the Soft Seal Gel Ear Pads.
1: Well, wear electronic ear protection is a must for enjoyment and safety reasons and so you're probably going to spend somewhere between 40 and 100 bucks and get a pair of ear muffs that are over the head muffs probably you know three biggest brands are probably howard light walkers and peltor which is a 3m brand and the problem with all of those stock out of the box is they're not terribly comfortable i mean they're fine they're okay they're probably worth what you pay well, not some of them. Some of them are way overpriced. Anyway, they're not terribly uncomfortable. But the Soft Seal uh, gel pads. These are replacement ear pads that you you know they're they're designed. These earmuffs you buy are designed to be able to replace this. So there's a way to pull off your existing ear pads and without a, without you know scraping it with a knife and then putting on the Soft Seal ear pads. And so this upgrade to your existing. Ear muffs is a pretty big deal. Uh, one, it makes it a lot softer. It's just more comfortable on the head. So softer and more comfortable is good. I'm a big fan myself. Uh, second is it will, re- it increases the, the effectiveness of the muffs. So it gives you a better, tighter seal. So you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, the dysfunctionality that sometimes comes when when the earmuffs not doing its job. And third, I think it's especially important is it it fits and forms better over uh, like uh, your glasses. So you're always wearing safety glasses when you're wearing your earmuffs. Right. And obviously the, I don't know what they're called, the stick thingies on the back of glasses, the bars, the frames. I don't know what it's called. The thing that goes back through your earmuffs uh, causes a a gap. And that often causes issue, but with the soft seals from ready up gear, it just conform. It just, it just seals really tightly around the glasses and it just, it's so nice. And so, yeah, that, go buy them, readyupgear.com.
0: Yeah, Jacob, I will not wear EarPro now without the soft steel ear pads. Uh, they are worth their weight in gold, and they're honestly not even that unreasonably priced. So go to readyupgear.com. Also, a direct link is in the show notes of today's episode.
1: It'll take you right to the category page on the site. Um, well, and you if you know. buy the ready-up gear Roger twenty twos with the soft seal gel ear cups, your total out of pockets right around seventy bucks, which is about what most people are paying for like a Howard Light or a Pelter or something anyway.
0: Yeah, and and I was telling actually Matthew uh, on the other episode today, come come to think of it actually uh, that. Uh, they feel every bit as high quality once you add the gel ear pads, of soft seals as like the $300 you know Peltors and Comtac Ear Pro and stuff like that, so uh, really worth the extra investment. So pick up a, a, a pair of Roger 22s or if you already have a, a favorite pair uh, of one of those brands we mentioned, uh, get, get the soft seals. I, I promise you they're going to make you happy and really improve your over-the-ear ear ear protection wearing experience. Again, readyupgear.com. All right. Uh, So today's episode, as I mentioned in the beginning, is a rapid-fire episode with Jacob Paulson. And so what that means is, if this is is new to you, is he's in the hot seat, I'm interviewing him, and we've got a list of basically 40 questions that I'm going to ask him in a rapid-fire, hence the name, sort of fashion and he's going to have exactly one minute or less to respond to each of these questions should be a good time. And, uh, yeah, it's actually the first time you did this. That was just before episode 500. If I recall, we then did the survey, um, shortly thereafter. And one of the questions, like, uh, one of the feedback we got regarding the podcast was, um, the rapid fire episode with Brian Eastridge, the first one you ever did was very popular. So we decided to make it a thing. You ready to get into it, Jacob?
1: I'm ready, man. I'm easy.
0: Yeah. And so here we go. We're going to start right from the top. And this has been the leading question for all the rapid fire episodes we've done. So nine millimeter or 45. Nine millimeter. Nine millimeter. Yep. Not, not n- enough said. Right. <laughs> enough
1: said. <ten>. Yep. <laughs> that is that is that is today's standard.
0: Yep. Sorry, uh, John Moses Browning, but uh, the Germans win on this one. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two, best concealed carry position or placement on the body.
1: Yeah, so I feel equally strong, actually, about appendix and what I would call traditional IWB, about 4.35 o'clock on the hip. Uh, I think that it really depends on the person, what they wear, their body shape, and what gun they want to carry. Um, I am shaped and the nature of the clothes I tend to wear is that if I want to wear like a midsize or full size handgun, the only way I'm pulling that off is at three, about four thirty five o'clock on the hip. Uh, so I'm, I'm all for that. I, I'm not, I don't poo poo on traditional IWB. I think it's a perfectly acceptable and valid position. Um, I think all positions have pros and cons and so you just have to be educated on what those are and train around those uh, restrictions that you have. I generally carry appendix with a, with a more of a micro compact and that generally works pretty well for me, but I'm, I'm perfectly happy to endorse both of those carry positions. I'll add that if you can carry it three o'clock on the hip and get away with it, like actually conceal the gun properly. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Next question. Rank the following in order of priority for everyday carry. Tourniquet, spare magazine, pepper spray, and fixed blade knife.
1: Pepper spray, tourniquet, Spare magazine, fixed blade knife. Mm. Slightly different, I
0: think, from even mine and Matthews. Uh, I don't remember response. what you
1: said, and no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't hear Matthews.
0: Um, but uh, what's what's your uh, logic between that ordering? Just curious.
1: Well, I think uh, maybe if I was in a rural setting, that might change. But but t- a tourniquet application. Um. It- Yes, like that's that's a that's a life sa- life life death scenario thing. So that's a pretty big deal. So I, I struggled with tourniquet versus pepper spray. Uh, however, pepper spray is easy to carry. Um, it's very easy. It's easy to deploy. It's um, it's just. The legal boundary to using it is so low. There's so many situations in life. I mean, I'm significantly way more likely to use pepper spray than I am or am to use um, a gun. So if I'm just like weighing it in terms of like likelihood to need, it feels like tourniquet and pepper spray are both kind of up there. But pepper spray is easier to carry. And and I think if I ever need pepper spray and I don't have it, I'm kind of screwed. I'm kind of without an alternative. If I ever need a tourniquet and I don't have it, I can improvise a tourniquet. And probably EMS is rolling. and probably less than 10 minutes away. So I can rip a shirt off. I can, you know, tie a tight, you know, knot. I mean, I just think that it's easier to improvise a tourniquet than it is to improvise pepper spray. Hmm. So I ended up in my brain putting pepper spray ahead of the tourniquet. Uh, I don't think a fixed blade knife is particularly practical. Certainly not for a guy like me. I think if I have some extensive training with using a a small fixed blade knife, then maybe I would put that higher on my list. But that's not something I'm I'm inclined or trained to use any, with any degree of efficiency. And I think it takes a significant lot more training to use it with any efficiency than it does say pepper spray. Um, so I'm inclined to put that pretty low on my list. Hmm.
0: Well, that's why it is completely your right to uh, have this opportunity to give us your responses. Appreciate the uh, explanation behind the logic there. If you had to choose between these three, which would you choose of like alternative carry methods, an apparel holster? And I might add, I I gave Matthew this out uh, that I said pocket holster could be potentially included in that. If you want to interpret it differently, it's fine. But an apparel holster, off-body carry, such as like a bag or purse or suitcase or whatever, or ankle holster.
1: I don't have any experience using an ankle holster, uh, personally. I I own one. I've put it on before, you know, kind of thing. Uh, I don't know that I have pants that would traditionally be compatible with an ankle holster. I don't know because I don't really try. But of the three, if I, like, had to go commit to one of those and own it, I think it would be ankle holster, but as like an alternative to like that random day when I can't carry on my waistline like I normally could and I have to resort to one of these three uh, just for the day as, as kind of a one-off and outlier or an occasional thing, off-body carry would be my, cho- my choice of those three.
0: Hmm. Choose between the following pistol action types. Hmm. Double action, single action, striker fired,
1: double action only, single action only. So double action only is out. I think it's just horrible for anything related to self-defense, single action, only not my preference. I think that I don't want to have to work a gun that I have to work a, a safety on. And so that's, that's off for me. That's out. So at least it was striker fire and DASA. I'm a striker fire guy. Cause that's what I'm most experienced with. That's what I'm most comfortable with. So I'm going to lean toward the thing I'm, I'm, Feel most apt and capable of using. That said, I love my 229. I think a DASA gun is perfectly good and awesome and fine and has plenty of pros uh, as well as its cons. Again, interesting logic, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. I'll add that to newer gun owners, I think the striker fire is the no brainer, uh, and just in terms of simplicity of use and understanding the mechanism.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: cool. Next up. Why Wyoming? <laughs> well, I didn't choose that I was born there, but it's awesome. <laughs> six <laughs> six people per square mile or something. Well, I, we looked it up the other day. I can't remember what it was. Uh, if you want to live somewhere where there's no one else there and people love trucks and guns and freedom and you want some serious outdoor access and you don't mind being a little bit cold. Wyoming your place highest per capita instance of vehicles per person and <laughs> highest instance of trucks per person in the country, Wyoming. Um, and, and outside of uh, Alaska, the least no, least densely populated state, like number of people per square mile. Uh, <laughs> Wyoming's awesome. The first ever national park in the country, the first ever national monument in the country. The home of the the 1870 fur trader and mountain man. It's, uh, (laughs) yeah, hello, Wyoming. (laughs) Why Colorado? Colorado is the perfect melding pot of so many things. So if you just are a person who can't make up your mind about things, like Colorado's for you. You want big city? Yeah, we kind of claim that. You want like rural community? We got that here. You want mountains? No problem. You want flat plains? We got that here. You want direct access to a very large international airport? No problem. Eighth busiest airport in the world. We have that here. You want major sports teams? We have a major sports team for every single major sport here in Denver. Which, frankly, given our population, is almost inappropriate. Uh, you know, there are there are cities out there that are significantly larger population than us and do not have all those sports teams. Uh, you, I mean, it's like whatever you want. We kind of got it. Uh, despite maybe not being Chicago or Phoenix or some of these metro areas that are significantly lar- larger than the Denver metro area, uh, and, and you know obviously the mountain access, you know we have more fourteen thousand uh, foot peaks in Colorado than all other states in the U.S. combined. Ooh! <laughs> Ran out of my minute sixty <laughs> seconds. Colorado's great.
0: <laughs> I decided to pull out the timer. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I ran out of time. You were doing one,
0: pretty dude. good, but you were all fired up. Um, great. That's actually a really great point. Like all the major sports teams, like not just the big like three, you know, like uh, uh, basketball, football, baseball. Major league soccer, cross soccer, hockey and hockey. Yep. Yep. Those are all great. Those are interesting points. I, I don't know if I had actually quite made that connection in my own brain. But all of that uh, amazingness about Colorado, but there's some less than friendly two way legislation in this state.
1: But we're a purple state. So if you want diversification, this is a good place to kind the argument could be made we're less purple than we used to be. Um, you know, maybe we're a little bit more on the blue Probably. side of, of that color right. scheme. But uh, outside of the Denver Metro, we're a pretty dang red state. So anyway, I think the point yeah. is like, if you want a little of everything, this is a good place to be we have all four seasons climate, you know, I mean, yeah,
0: yeah, it's act- and it's actually more, um, temperate than most people realize. Throughout well, the if year. you're
1: from Idaho or Wyoming, you definitely think this is temperate.
0: <laughs> hey, I mean, we, we typically have like that solid week of like 60 to 70 degree days in January, which is nothing to complain about. No, but then the next week it's, you know, 20 and, Two feet of snow. <laughs> it keeps snow life interesting. That's for know. sure. One one U.S. city you never want to visit:
1: uh, Las Vegas, uh, Bismarck, North Dakota, <laughs> um, Newark, New Jersey, mm, yeah, uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico uh anaconda montana no i'm just joking anaconda montana is pretty sweet (laughs) but uh, no i'm I'm serious about the other ones yeah no real desire to go to carson city yeah i mean Mm -hmm. all those places may have some redeemable qualities but yeah i'm good never going to vegas again in my life
0: (laughs) well you gave us a, a few options there all right Something you've changed your mind about relative to guns and or self-defense in the last five years. What is it?
1: Mm. Well, if you said 10 years, this would have been much easier. Mm. Five years. So we're talking October 2016. Um, hmm. uh, carry position. Certainly, I'm, uh, I never would have considered carrying appendix five years ago. Yeah. Um. a lot of the fundamentals you know i definitely grip my gun differently i present my gun differently to target uh, i think about follow through and trigger press very differently than i did five years ago so a lot of skill related things um five years five years ago 15 seconds yeah that's all i can think of
0: no that's all pretty good stuff man yeah Yeah. Appendix carry a big one for you. It took you a while to, and I I honestly, I mean, that's been in the last five years for me too. So it's uh, relatively new for both of us in the, in the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Although I feel like I've been doing it. uh, I can't remember really life before appendix carry because it's so normal for me now. One trainer other than yourself that everyone should take a
1: class from. I don't think anyone needs to take a class from me, so that was an unnecessary disclaimer. <laughs> um, Kyle Lamb. Yep. Yeah.
0: You and I did his... Uh, oh, what does he call that? Uh, night fire,
1: Low light something. Yeah. yeah,
0: low light CQB carbine, I think, is what it was. Yeah, that was a fun one. Good yeah. times. Good times in New Hampshire. Uh, what is it like... So this, this one's very much written for you personally. What is it like running the business, concealedcarry.com?
1: Busy, very busy. You're probably looking for more than that. Um, <laughs> you tell me. Uh, you know, the problem, we're a medium-sized business. One of the challenges of being a medium-sized business is that everybody has to wear a ton of hats. So that's really the challenge of running our company is that I got to be a bookkeeper, I got to be an accountant, I got to be a marketer, I got to be a salesman, I have to be accounts payable, I have to uh, be task manager, project manager. I, you know, it, it's just wearing all the hats. And I'm not the only one. Everyone on our team wears a lot of hats. Uh, most of them, but uh, everyone's busy, and I, I just, I get pulled in a lot of directions. But I think that's normal. Be small business owner stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I concur with that. What's, or what challenges do you run into with the business?
1: Well, there's like what I would call normal business challenges. Then there's like concealed com specific challenges. Right. But, mm-hmm. but we're, we run into the normal business challenges of trying to scale from a small business to a big business. And so when we were smaller, when it was just me and you Riley, it was no big deal. We were, you know, do a million or two bucks a year. And profit margin was decent enough to more than support two people. But, but the problem is that the company is very unstable when you're that small, right? When you're a two-person business doing a million bucks a year, you're very unstable. It takes very little to disrupt uh, your company and, and completely destroy your business. And so the decision was made to scale it into something that's much more sub- significant with multiple streams of revenue, et cetera. Uh, and, and that's the path we're on. The problem is that the scale process, like all, all companies have what I call hyper growth and plateau phase. And so hyper growth is trying to push up the hill and then you kind of plateau and you get to a place of comfort and then you try and do another hypergrowth. That's just how most businesses scale. And so we're in the middle of what, we would, what we're attempting to do as a hyper growth. When you do a hyper growth, you're, you're very metaphorically pushing things up a hill. You're trying to do more with less resources and scale is hard. And so that's what our challenges as a, as a business, just in terms of who we are and where we're at. But as far as a gun business, yeah, we run into some challenges because we're involved in the firearm industry, but nothing that's significant because we don't sell guns or ammo. I mm-hmm. could get more specific if you cared. Yeah,
0: no, that's good. Uh, you know, one minute and all. Um, what's one thing you would change about the firearms slash concealed carry slash training industries? having now been a sort of an insider in the industry, i mean we we're not like inside inside like maybe some right. people out there are, but, I'm, but I'm, you know a, now, yeah, like, i haven't enough now
1: yeah I haven't been twenty what? years with block or anything right um a couple of things one, I think our industry is much slower to adopt new marketing practices, so mm. you look at very large. Um, long old companies that have been in our industry and they're still spending a large percentage of their ad budget on print advertising. Like it's just like what, like we've not progressed the same as a lot of other industries, frankly, relative to marketing and advertising. Um, A a second thing is I think we need to relook at the, firearm instructor um, certification process. Right now it's very disjointed. Different states do different things. There's different uh, certification agencies. And I think that that needs to be revisited. I think that we need to get a little bit more uh, universal and clear on what's going on there. I don't think that our standard is as high as it should be. And last, I'll, I'll leave you with this if I still have some more time, is I think we need to figure out how to take a new gun owner or someone who's pursuing a concealed carry permit and make shooting and gun ownership and concealed carry a part of their lifestyle instead of a, uh, a, a license or permit that they, they get achieve and, and graduate from.
0: Hmm. Yeah. All very good insights. And actually I could see us uh, maybe expounding upon some of those ideas you just shared in a, in a separate episode.
1: Or you so. can ask a follow-up question, whatever. Yeah. Uh, okay.
0: Best gun
1: slash self-defense related app on your phone. Man, I'm gonna be a shield on so many of these questions. That would be our <laughs> app, the consult carry gun tools app, obviously. <laughs> it's free. Um, if you go look at review, like if you go search consult or gun related apps in the app store or in the Google Play Store. There's a reason our app has the, has the hot, not only is it like high in terms of downloads, there's a lot of apps that get a lot of downloads, but our rating, like our average review rating out of five stars is the highest and it's and it's free. And we've never advertised it. We've never run an ad in the Apple App Store. We've never run an ad on Google Play. There's there's a reason it's the number one non-ad free app when you search console carry on Google Play or Apple App Store. It is the best. Uh, it, it's It has all of our tools in it. It's all free. Like just... I, I can't fathom someone who's serious about gun ownership or concealed carry and doesn't have our app. Like they, you've got to be a moron.
0: <laughs> and I suspected that you would respond with that as an answer. Um, so now I'm going to put you really on the spot and ask, other than apps that concealed carry Inc owns or runs, what is the best gun or self-defense related app?
1: Ooh, can I say LASR? I mean, I don't know that technically qualifies as an app. Well, you can run it through your browser on your phone, so why not? I can save the shortcut shortcut to my screen. So LASR then, which, you know, yeah. dry fire laser shot indicating software uh, to be a, an assistant tool to assist in your dry fire training when you use a laser tool. Uh, mm. That would be my next one.
0: Good choice. Good choice. How about this?
1: Carrying with a round in the chamber?
0: Yes. No. Everybody who that. carries
1: concealed should have the goal to get to a point where they're comfortable enough and confident enough in their own skills and safety, uh, safety procedures that they can carry with the round of the chamber. And certainly I feel like I'm at that point and I do carry with the round of the chamber. Yep.
0: Are there any firearms or firearm types that you feel are obsolete
1: in today's age? Oh, I got to be careful. So <laughs> I say what's on my mind, I'll get some serious hate mail. Um I I think that we're not far away from revolvers truly becoming obsolete. Now when I say obsolete, let me be careful. I'm not saying that they don't bring anything to the table. Like there are absolutely legitimate real true pros that a revolver has over a semi-automatic handgun. However, those pros are so outweighed by the cons today that I think we're very close to seeing the revolver go bye-bye. Mm. Is, I mean, I, I, I'm making this up. I, I, I haven't seen recent data, but I suspect that less than 1% of market share of today's handgun sales comes from revolvers. I bet you more than 99 out of 100 handguns being sold are semi automatics
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see some numbers on that. Uh, I wonder if the NSSF has some data that's that's that specific regarding the industry. I don't
1: know, but I bet I'm not off that much.
0: I I would say, I don't know if it's quite that low of a percentage or not. It could be. Uh, I would definitely say that it has gotten a lot smaller in the last couple of years just with the advent of pistols like the P365 and the Hellcat. Uh, because I think
1: I I could add a disclaimer. I could say newly manufactured handguns, you know, the market share of newly manufactured handguns in America, I bet is more than 99% semi-automatic. How about this one?
0: What about any carry positions that you would consider to be obsolete in this day and age?
1: Under the arm, shoulder holsters, completely obsolete, ridiculous, stupid, and impractical. Move (laughs) on, do something else.
0: How about cross draw? Just curious, your take on that.
1: Well, underarm generally is a, is, is a, is a type of cross draw, right? So if mm. you carry under the arm, then you're doing that cross draw. But you certainly could cross draw from the hip or from the waist or something else as well. Uh, I also think that cross draw is less than optimal. I don't think it's as stupid as a shoulder holster. So if you're cross drawing from a waist holster on the opposite side as your strong side, yeah, I, don't, I, I think you're going to have a real hard time having a conversation with me in which you're going to convince me that you're justified in any degree in doing that. I think that, that anything on your strong side would be preferable in a big way. Uh, how about a non-gun related podcast you subscribe to? The Duolingo Spanish podcast. It might be the only one
0: I didn't realize there was a podcast. Like I know you talk about Duolingo as a application or whatever. Um, so there's a podcast, huh?
1: So Duolingo has podcasts in some languages. So, you know, the Duolingo app, you can learn something like 80 languages, you know, Irish and Swedish Mm. and all sorts of, you know, random crap. But, uh, the, they don't have podcasts in all those languages, but they do a podcast, maybe in the top four or five or something languages that people learn. And they do have one in Spanish. And it's very impressive the way it's formatted, the way it's delivered. Um, and it's interesting enough, the topics and stories. And so I wouldn't say I like listen to it every time a new episode comes out, but it is on my phone in my podcast app. Cool.
0: Awesome. So for those of you wanting to continue to learn or take your Spanish language to the next level, here's a recommendation for you. What is What do you consider to be the most dangerous anti-gun legislation?
1: Well, I think that's tough because, I mean, there's plenty of things that get proposed that are completely ridiculous that are very dangerous, but they just have no chance of passing. So I guess the correct like, technical answer would be uh, the abolishment of the Second Amendment. Like, <laughs> That would be the most dangerous anti-gun legislation we could possibly see. But, you know, stuff like that, stuff like that, and sometimes that do, does get proposed. It just never goes anywhere because they can't muster the votes for something like that. They can't even get it out of committee, right? So it's it's kind of a bit of a cop-out to the question. So in terms of things that are actually like likely or happening or exist in some states, universal background checks is absolutely the most dangerous uh, anti-gun legislation we're, we're currently seeing that exists and is being passed.
0: Awesome. That's pretty much the same line of thinking that Matthew was on uh, in his uh, rapid fire episode. And I do, I don't disagree. So what is one dry fire tool or product you couldn't live without?
1: Uh, the laser dot trainer probably is one I can't live without, but, but for those who are cheap or broke the barrel block, could, could be a quick answer for me. A $13 tool that makes sure the gun is safe. I, I do a lot, you know, Two, three years ago, I did a lot more. of My dry fire was with a CERT pistol or some sort of other you know, third-party tool. Today, a lot more with my actual gun. And so the question is, how do I modify or, or ensure that that gun stays safe? I like things like my cool fire trainer, but it, I just rarely take the time to use it. Uh, so most of the time, I'm just dropping in a laser dot or a barrel block to make sure I don't have a live ammo negligent discharge and run some stuff. Cool.
0: Of the various shooting skills or fundamentals, which do you think is the most important or foundational?
1: You know, I was, I would, I would have said grip, um, probably every day for the last three years, but I'm starting to kind of wonder if target presentation is more important. Uh, And maybe the two of them are, are correlated, right? Like pretty hard to have a very consistent target presentation. If you don't get a consistent grip though, you could have a crappy grip, and still have a solid target presentation. So, yeah, I think I'd still say grip, but target presentation is really creeping up there for me in terms could, could of its you, level of importance.
0: Could you define, when you say target presentation, like what, what are you referring to?
1: The process of getting sites on target efficiently for quick deployment mm. Mm. and accurate shots.
0: Yeah. 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 Obviously, grip is an important part of that. Especially to be consistent about it, right? Right. Oh, hey. You made me go over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was asking you clarifying questions. If everyone had to carry the same gun concealed Mm -hmm. as an EDC, so like everyday carry, what gun would that be? Or do you think it should be?
1: take your pick, you know, SIG P365, Hellcat, or Shield Plus, depending on what feels good in your hand. All three of them have a very different grip feel. Uh, So, you know, any of those three. And what is your
0: actual EDC gun? P365. Yeah. What is one handgun you strongly suggest nobody, I mean nobody, buys for (laughs) self-defense?
1: I remember when I asked you this question, you said the Bond Arms Derringer or something—a <laughs> bit of a cop out, but accurate. The, the place my brain immediately went was like a double action micro compact gun, so like those those Diamondbacks that are just these little tiny micro compact single stack gun that's a double action only. Uh, I have a Keltec. What is my Keltec, Riley? That I have that's like that's like a P nine or P eleven or something. Um, yeah, any of those like extremely small double action only single compact micro compact guns are just horrific. I just, they're horrible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember if you have the PF nine or the P 11, but it is, they're, I don't remember. they're not all that different from each other in terms of how they operate. And I think it was uh, a PF nine, but I can't remember now not having a very desirable trigger. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 What about, what what is the gun you carried 10 years ago?
1: October, 2011. Um, It was, I, that was a transitionary time. So it was either a Glock 27 or a Glock 19.
0: Mm. I'm not sure. Both decent choices, good choices. So
1: I carried a Glock 27 for a very long time. Yeah. And uh, then I I transitioned to Glock 19 somewhere right about then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you may very well have been in the same boat as Matthew with a Glock 27, which he carried for a long, long time.
1: Me and Matthew both were Glock 27 people for a long time. That's true.
0: (laughs) Yep. Uh I'm going to kind of spin off of that. And since we just asked you about your actual EDC gun nowadays, uh, why have you settled at least currently on the P365? Um, I,
1: I am a pretty small frame person. And I find that concealing a gun is a challenge for me with the clothes I like to wear. And so I am looking for something that's relatively concealable. But obviously we're trying to balance that with still being shootable and having a relatively good compa- capacity. So mm-hmm. I think that the, the 365, the Hellcat or the shield plus are all guns that probably fit in that category. But for me, the 365 feels the best in terms of the grip and the way I hold it. Uh, et cetera. I, I think I'd probably be just as happy with or happier with the shield uh, XL or not shield XL, excuse me, or the PZ 365 XL, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't own one. Uh, that mm-hmm. would be something I'd need to purchase. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I think any three of those guns, uh, meet, check all the boxes for me. That's just of the three, the 365 is the one that feels best in my hand.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. What are three concealed carry holster brands that you love?
1: Mm. Uh, KSG Armory. Uh, I think that he makes amazing quality holster at a good price. I'm wearing one uh, right now. Yeah, I'm my current EDC holster is KSG Army holster. Um, for for like uh, uh, like a traditional IWB when I go around my back, you know, and I'm carrying it at four thirty, five o'clock the holster, I have had the most success with is Stealth Gear, uh, and they're kind of one of those hybrid holsters, you know, with Kydex shell over some sort of backer. Uh, but they they have a vent core series of holsters, which is their original line of holsters. And I just find those extremely comfortable. They're very breathable. They're machine washable. You can pull the nuts and bolts out and adjust the cant or position or ride height of the, the Kydex shell on the backer. You can get some that have kind of a, a, a sweat guard kind of thing. But I think that the, if you do get one with the sweat guard, I think that they're some of the best sweat guards out there. But you can also get them uh, combat or cut, you know, or it's just a straight... Uh, cross lines so that you don't have that in your way when you go to draw the gun. I think their attention to detail is good, and I, I, I like theirs as well. So that's two. Um, I'm trying to think of something, kind of another like off-the-wall answer here so that we don't just say more of the same stuff. Uh, there's companies out there I respect because people I respect respect them and say they're really good. But my experience with those is limited. Companies like tenacore or Filster, uh, where I have every reason to believe they're really good, Henry Holsters. But I don't personally have an extensive amount of experience with those products.
0: Mm-hmm. Fair enough.
1: How about the best concealed carry belt? I'm pretty biased here to the foundation belt. It's what I'm wearing. It's what I like to wear. It's what I generally wear, but we also sell them. So I make money when you buy one. <laughs> uh, but I think it's the perfect balance between um, thickness and rigidity and comfort and 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 also concealability and being low profile. So that's where I go with that. But that said, it doesn't work real well when I'm wearing a suit or a shirt and tie. So you probably got to go with something leather. I think there's a lot of good leather holster or excuse me, leather belt makers out there um, but a lot of them get way too rigid. So I, it takes a lot more, you know, discerning to get a decent leather concealed carry, uh, belt. But mm-hmm. it's a question of which model, not which company, most companies that make a good leather concealed carry belt have one. I would like, but they might have 10 belts and it's about knowing which one to buy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And foundation belt. Sorry, you know, plug for that. But, uh, or sorry to plug for that, but the uh dot com forward slash foundation belt link will get you there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go buy one. Uh, we have the creator. At least he was a moment ago watching the podcast live with us. Very cool. Very cool. Glad to have Brian with us. Your favorite brand of over the, or favorite brand of hearing protection?
1: Oh yeah, another opportunity for a shameless plug. <laughs> that would be Ready Up Gear Roger Twenty Twos. I think the audio quality, like if you if you tr- like, what are the f- criteria by which we judge EarPro, right? So, first for me has got to be audio quality. I'm in I'm very sensitive about not losing the hearing in my good ear, the one I got left. So, like, I don't want the static sound. I don't want to be picking up tons of wind, all that kind of stuff. So, I really care about auto quality. And I think the Roger 22s have audio quality that's uh, as good, if not better, than most of the competing products in the sub $100 uh electronic earmuff you know marketplace. Um it does you know I, I think all ear electronic earmuffs that I've ever worn adequately block out dangerous noise. So that's not really a criteria by which you gotta compare one against another. But audio quality is and comfort is uh, and cost is and the Radio Gear Roger 22s are 40 bucks. Can't beat that. That's cheaper than the cheapest electronic walkers. It's it's significantly cheaper than the the cheapest you know Howard Light Impact Sport muffs and it's like half the price of the Pelter uh, tactical 100 200 or 300 muffs from 3M. So yeah, it's a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, and when you say audio quality, you're making the assumption that it's that you that we're referring to electronic hearing protection.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. that's a required thing. Like like you shouldn't be wearing muffs that aren't electronic in my opinion. I think it's I think it's a safety concern, There's arguably an enjoyment concern to shooting guns where you can't hear people talk so i think electronic earmuffs are the best aid to ensure that works out how
0: about safety glasses don't care Your pick whatever as long as it's, it's uh, properly rated or whatever
1: yeah yeah i mean i generally wear ssp glasses i have the shalin kit i think it's like a 40 to 50 kit comes with a couple of different color lenses you got the tinted ones and the yellow ones and the clear ones and you swap them out and whatever. And, uh, that, that seems to be very efficient and good for me, but I, I really just don't care. I mean, mm-hmm. there's definitely some that like hurt the, the brim, the, the nose more than others, but I, I, in my experience, anything 15 bucks plus probably going to work just fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: What is your preferred handheld flashlight? The ready up ear spark MCF spark. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it right here. Now, so we sell, we make and sell these, and uh, big fan, think they're great. Yeah,
0: yeah, 550 lumens of compact awesomeness for a very reasonable price.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, our, in case you haven't caught on, if this is your first time listening to these crazy dudes on the Consolidated Podcast, our business model relative to products is to come up with something that's as good as the industry competitors and make and make it available for less money. That's that's kind of our shtick. And so the MCF Spark falls into that category. We think it's as good as a lot of the other uh, competitors in that class, but it's cheaper.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to hit the pause button right here at this point and, see, and ask if you wouldn't mind backing out and coming back in because I'm getting some audio artifacts. I'm wondering if... That might help. We'll see. We'll see. Appreciate you guys' uh, uh, patience and being a part of this episode with us today. We'll just see if, uh, I don't know if it's affecting you guys at all or not, but definitely uh, the audio that I am picking up from Jacob, it's mostly working, but occasionally is not. So let's see if uh, this is any improved. He's back. Can you give us a little
1: test something? So this is many years ago. I was in Strawberry Reservoir outside of Heber, Utah, and we were ice fishing.
0: And <laughs> the ice fishing story, <laughs> which because of, because you're back and it sounds like maybe it's improved, so let's let's press on with our questions here. Um, how about laser aiming devices on defensive handguns?
1: Recommended? Not recommended? More I connected. have nothing against them inherently. The The problem is that most of the time, people who have them, uh, th- they have an attitude that's a problem. So the issue is not with the gear. The issue is with the attitude that generally accompanies the gear. So the attitude that generally accompanies the laser aiming device is one that I don't need to practice, train, or learn how to actually aim a gun and shoot it properly. Because I got this awesome laser, laser aiming device. Uh, maybe it's a crutch because I'm old and I can't see well, or I, you know, whatever thing that causes me to believe that this is going to make it better for me. And, and the attitude is the problem. Adams attitude is a disaster waiting to happen. It's really scary, bad, awesome. Not to mention it's ignorant. I mean, it's just complete ignorance. The, the inherent thinking that this gun, you know, this red dot's going to bounce around in front of you, and that's going to make it so you can aim and hit what you aim, shoot what you what you want to shoot, is is completely ridiculous. And so it's it's an attitude full of ignorance and and danger and and bad. But mm. the gear itself inherently, I don't have any issue with it. I just think it's unnecessary. It's very very rarely has any practical application. And so if it makes my gun more bulky, more expensive, or complicates my ability to get a holster for my gun, then I would call that a, a downside.
0: Yeah, oh, I actually really like how you how you've articulated that uh, by talking about the the attitude, and I I do think that that is a thing. Uh, my last range trip, there was a older gentleman there that was shooting with a laser, and I would say just by observing him, it only took me a second to watch him that, that he was placing way more faith in that laser than he was actually in any sort of shooting skill. Um, a related sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tertiary, tertiary aiming device. And that would be the, the concept of a uh, miniature red dot sight or red dot optic on a carry pistol. What are your thoughts on that? That's been obviously, be, it's become a very, it's much more prevalent in the industry now.
1: Um, I have not yet personally made the transition to red dot. I bought a gun that's red dot compatible, so that I could work toward that. Uh, but my finances are relatively tight right now, so it's just not something I prioritized. Um, not to mention, mm-hmm. it's going to take work. Like I just know that the day I decide to throw that dot on the gun, I got to do a lot more work. I got to put in a lot more time. I got to, you know, probably take training. I got to work on my presentation a lot more, or do more dry fire at the range. And so it's just this like hurdle I've not yet committed to dealing with. That mm. said, uh, all the people I respect say that it's a good idea. So, uh, because they say so, and because the reasons they say so sound really smart and good to me, I'm on board.
0: Mm. What do you consider to be the minimum number of rounds your defensive gun should hold?
1: 10. It's just, I know it's sound it's, it's completely arbitrary and I admit it. I have no data to back that up other than Jeff Gonzalez said so, and he's a pretty smart guy. But I think 10 is just a minimum when you look at the handgun market out there. 10 tends to force you to a certain gun uh, because a lot of guns out there that are six or seven or eight, uh, some that are even nine. But once you hit 10, you're probably going to get 12, 11, 13. And so 10 just seems to kind of um, put a pretty clear divisor between guns that I think don't have enough and guns that I think do.
0: Hmm. You know, it's interesting. You said, well, because Jeff Gonzalez said so, and I was thinking that... I've had that opinion for a long time as well, even before I knew Jeff's opinion or John Korea's opinion, or I'm trying to think—is there someone else that's commented to a similar effect? And it's, it seems to be a bit of a consensus that I've noticed from people, other people in the industry, including those I trust, that uh, are are right around that ten number. Or so.
1: I think it definitely highly unlikely I'm going to find myself in a situation where 10 rounds won't sustain my survivability in the situation. Mm, Yeah. Now, 10 rounds might not be enough to cause me to determine to involve myself in something that I might otherwise be able to avoid. But if I have a direct assault or ambush or direct situation I need to, to, to work against, Pretty unlikely 10's not going to be sufficient to get me out of the situation. Mm.
0: What do you consider to be the minimum loadout you will leave the house with? And, and by loadout, like the actual tools <laughs> that you're carrying in support of your, I don't know, mission, if you will.
1: Well, there's theoretically what I what I would say out loud and there's like reality of what I actually do. Mm. I'm just taking a quick pause here and checking my connection. Am I coming through? Can you hear me, Riley?
0: I'm hearing you. The, your video on my end does not look good at all. And occasionally still gets okay? audio artifacts. What's that? Mm. But
1: but yeah, for I the think, most part, I think it's like probably your me. I just okay. I don't know what I can do about it. Yeah. OK, um, so, yeah, there's this like theoretical, like what I sh- I should say out loud. And then there's kind of more this what I actually do thing. Mm-hmm. But I'll start with what I actually do and then we can judge myself. So mm-hmm. what I actually carry every day, I always have a flashlight. I always have pepper spray. I always have a pocket knife, the multi-tool thing. I have a gun. Um, I have my wallet. My wallet's got a lock picking set uh, and a little bit of cash. It's an RFID wallet. I think that's important. I, yeah, that's kind of about it for what I normally carry my phone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I have a phone. Yeah. Uh, Keys. My car keys have a USB um, thumb drive on them, which (laughs) is valuable and useful in some scenarios. I, I have a handcuff key. So that's my normal loadout. So I think that if I were to say, well, am I doing what I think I should be doing? I would say no. I I think I should have a tourniquet and specifically a SWAT t. I I think if I was really on my game, I'd be carrying around a SWAT t. A A SWAT t is something I generally could carry. Like I generally would have a pocket it would fit in, and it's a good multi-use medical tool. And uh, our team discovered last week, it's also pretty good for starting fires. It's a good fire starter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting hearing different opinions on that. And I understand your logic and Brian, by that, Brian McLaughlin's logic on the SWAT-T being multi-use. But I would go a little further. And small and compact. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Um, I would go a little further and say, ideally, a cat would be a good thing to have. But uh, totally understand that's, where you're coming from. That's
1: not my cards. That, I, I just tell you, like it's, that's not going to happen yeah. for me. Like, I should say a, a cat or
0: or some, you know like soft tea wide, for instance, which is what sure, I like actually carry more.
1: If, so I'm going to assume this is a follow-up question. So I have 60 more seconds. If yep. you put a cat, a soft tea wide or a swat tea on a table, mm-hmm. and walk into a walk into the room where I'm sitting next to that table, and slice my arm with a machete. And say, mm-hmm. grab one of those and fix it. I'm going to grab the soft T wide. Mm-hmm. Well, if I got to apply it to me, I might grab the cat. But I, but I, you know, the soft T wide is my preferred tourniquet. I think yep. the cat is a little bit easier to self apply. So yeah, yep. I would grab those over the SWAT T every day. But but if you're asking like Jacob, y- you really need to start carrying around a tourniquet with mm-hmm. you. Like pick one. I'm going to grab the SWAT for mm-hmm. sure.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know that you understand this and, and as is the case with many tools of whether it's a gun or a knife or whatever, a flashlight, uh, you should be familiar with how to use it and how to use it properly and practice, uh, doing so.
1: Yep. I'll add though. I'm very rarely more than 10 yards from a trauma kit. Yeah. Here's one right here within arm's reach. Yeah. I got one on my little laptop bag. I got one in every vehicle. I have one on every level of the house. I'm very rarely more than 10 yards from a trauma kit. Maybe yeah. that's why I currently cop out of carrying one, a tourniquet.
0: Sure. Sure. Yep. Uh, do you carry even within your home? Yes. Who are three firearm instructors that have been influential to you as a shooter or instructor?
1: Hmm. Riley Bowman. So I am a beneficiary of the training that you receive, right? So you go all over the country and take classes from the, some of the top instructors in the game, and then you come back and I get to learn from you. And so um, whether that's, we want to call that direct or indirect, I'm a, I'm a significant beneficiary of the of the skills that you acquire and the training you receive from all sorts of people over the country. So you would be the most immediate and obvious one for me to attribute. Um, there's there's some instructors out there that I would consider very influential, though I've not taken classes from them. So it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. So for example, Rob Latham, um, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with a lot of Rob Latham isms, a lot of things that you'll 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 tell me or teach me and say I learned that from Rob. YouTube videos where you know he's taught principles or things like that. So Rob Latham would be on my list, even though I've never taken a class from Rob, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Kyle Lamb. I think because. One, I was probably like my first like celebrity gun class I ever took. Mm -hmm. And so I have an affinity uh, to Kyle because it was like where some of my biggest breakthrough moments might've been, but he's also just, just the, the human, like the human, the human behind the instructor hat. He doesn't wear a hat that says instructor. That was meant to be metaphorical. (laughs) I love Kyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Good choices. And I, no, I'm not trying to prop myself up, but I appreciate your kind words. <laughs> do you have a favorite drill to do at
1: the range? Yeah, bill drill. Why? It's easy to remember. I don't have to like memorize some weird funky sequence. I can do it at an indoor gun range. I don't need multiple targets uh, to do it. I'd have to be able to draw, right? So I need to be in a range where they let me draw. Um, it seems like just a really good measurement for me. Uh, I'm going to get my draw time. I'm going to get a sense for how well I, I, I get my grip and then I'm going to see recoil and how my, my, uh, my accuracy goes. As I try, I'm never slow. Like if you shoot with me, you need to know this. I don't shoot slow. I just sometimes don't hit what I'm aiming at. So I don't have <laughs> issues with going fast. I have issues with being accurate while I'm going fast. <laughs> so, uh, is, but the build role allows me to attempt to pull that back and say, okay, I'm going to go slower and get my hits, or I'm going to you know speed it up a little bit and see if I can maintain uh, my control. So anyway, that just seems like an easy to remember reason, easy to execute six round drill that tells me a lot of stuff about my shooting.
0: Yeah. Don't slow down to get your hits. We need to teach <laughs> you how to uh, get your hits at
1: speed. Well, slowing down <laughs> sometimes allows me to recognize mm-hmm. the deficiency that's preventing mm-hmm. me from getting the hits. Right. Mm-hmm. So It's not that I'm trying to shoot slower. It's that I'm trying to recognize what's happening that's causing Mm. the problem.
0: What's something related to concealed carry you are embarrassed to admit you did?
1: I got tons of these. (laughs) Uh, Let's think. Okay. So when I first got my concealed carry permit, this had been a long time ago. (laughs) I'm not going to say how many years ago. So when I first got my concealed carry permit, I was a college student. And like the first or second or third day, I carried concealed. This is what happened to me. At the time, I had no holster. I was waiting for a holster to come in the mail. And I, if I told you what the holster was, that would be another embarrassing moment. But I, I didn't have a holster yet. And so I was just sticking this thing in my pants, right? Just because I thought that was fine. Like no one told me otherwise. So I just shoved this gun in my pants and I went to, to school. And I, like I said, this is in the first several, couple of days of me carrying a gun. And I, I was sitting in a Portuguese class. Actually, I took, I took Portuguese like 101 because... I just got back from Brazil and I was fluent and it was an easy A and they had, she handed out a test and I took the test and I've never met a test. I couldn't get done in 20 minutes or less. And I've never, never seen a test that I'm always the first one done with the test. Like you just need to understand this is a psychological reason why I probably had to drop out, but I'm always the first one done. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm past my 60 seconds, but I got to finish the story. Finish so the story. I'm always the first one done. So I, I boom, bust through this test. I'm done. It's probably, you know, at least a B or better. I don't care if anything better than that. And I stand up to go, you know, take the test up to the front. And the gun slides down into my pants and down into one of the, the pant legs and all the way down to my shoe. <laughs> Donk. And Uh-oh. and I'm, I stand there for a second, test in hand. And a couple of people are looking at me because I'm not moving. And I just sit back down <laughs> and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, I guess I can't walk. Like it's going to fall out on the ground in this college, you know, in this classroom, in a college <laughs> campus. So I sit back down, put the, put the, the paper down and I'm thinking like, what am I going to do? And so eventually, I, I eventually like get my backpack open. Like I pretend like I'm putting away a pen or a pencil or something. And I, sh- I shake the gun out from under the leg, <laughs> grab it and shove it in my backpack. And seal up the backpack and then I go tear in the test.
0: Yeah, I've heard the story before, but every time I hear it, it cracks me up. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and this is how stories with negligent discharges in classrooms occur.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That one ended out, I got I a lot of embarrassing stories. None of them have made anyone bleed. So, you know, all my stories worked out. Okay.
0: You know, but that's the thing. You, you, like you said, this was very early on in your journey. Uh, you were waiting on a holster. You didn't. It was know. a high point, by the way. <laughs> you didn't know what you didn't know, and nope. uh, that's part of the reason why we like it's stuff like that that has pushed you and me and others that work for us, you know, to to educate the public on things like this. So yes, hopefully you should should have a holster. (laughs) Yes. A proper holster. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, That's a good one.
1: What do you think is the
0: biggest mistake people make? And I'm leaving that pretty (laughs) open-ended.
1: Um, Well, we had another question earlier that feels similar. And so I'll, I'll kind of redress something I said earlier. And that is just that this sense of arrival versus the sense of journey. Uh, it's easy. I think as an industry, we all know that way too many gun owners just get their permit. and They think that they're all done. They don't get more training. Like, got it. Cliche. Like, thank you for repeating the soundbite. But I think that the, the issue we have is that the the why, like, why does that, is it that way? And I think probably the biggest issue is that carrying a gun and being proficient with the gun doesn't become a hobby. If you are listening to this podcast, you are not the audience I'm talking about. Like I am preaching to the choir on this one because to take the time and energy to listen to this podcast, being a concealed carrier has become to some degree a hobby to you. And I don't mean that in a negative connotation. It's necessary for this to become a hobby for you to actually have the motivation necessary to get to the point where you're adequately prepared to some some degree that we would think of as a valid standard. And so people who don't get this far, it's because they haven't figured out how to enjoy it enough. They They don't see it as a part of their lifestyle or a hobby. They're more interested in... Jiu Jitsu or mountain biking or their bowling league. And because shooting and carrying a gun isn't a hobby, they fail, or they don't become prepared to the degree that we think is necessary to be prepared. Mm. So the question to ask is how do we make new concealed carry permit permittees and or gun owners enjoy this and adopt it as part of their lifestyle to to the degree that it's a hobby?
0: Yeah, yeah. Be beyond the uh, hobby level of like just plinking and shooting, but the act sure, of gun for defense.
1: Sure, sure. Like getting a permit is a fear-driven thing. People don't get a permit because they think it's going to be fu- – well, I did – but most people don't get a permit because they're like, oh, it's gonna be cool, man. I'm just gonna carry on a gun all the time, every day, and I'm gonna be awesome and I'm gonna shoot like Jason Bourne. Like that's a rare attitude. Like those, you know, that's just not common. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people go get a concealed carry permit or buy a gun for defensive use. It's fear-driven, and the fear just won't take you that far.
0: Yeah. Cool. Good response. And one I think uh Connor on Facebook also is really enjoying as well. Uh, what is one book every gun owner should read? Mm. So
1: I'm going to cheat and give you a couple. So I think every human, every adult should read the following three books. Uh, Number one, Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute. Number two, uh, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. Uh, Number three, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Every human should read those three books. So anytime someone asks me for book recommendations, like, have you read these three yet? Because if not, like, Every human should read these books. You probably need to be 18 plus to understand it, but a, a book that every gun owner, like something relevant to guns that every gun owner should read. Uh, I'm going to say first freedom by David Harsani. This is a history of the cultural relevance of the gun in America.
0: It's yeah. a good one. You want gain an appreciation for the historical context of where the second amendment came from and what it really means. Highly recommend it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Everywhere from when gunpowder was invented in China, all the way up to the modern carbine.
0: Yep. Yep. Very good. What other resources are out there that you like for gun or concealed carry info?
1: Geez, this makes it really hard because I mean, the obvious answer is us consult We try really hard to be the resource, right? So what other resources? Well, you, I think you just, you just kind of tell me everything I need to know. And then, (laughs) you know, we go from there. Um, I I rely on handgunlaw.us. So I think um, Mm -hmm. we work really hard to be up to date on gun laws in America and handgunlaw.us does a really good job of both sifting through Current uh, laws that are being passed going to affect and, and maintaining an accurate change log on their website. So while I think of them as a competitor, frankly, I, I also like endorse them as a very valuable resource for us and for our community.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. And finally, what's one thing you would like to tell every concealed carrier in America?
1: Oh, geez. Um You should definitely go to concealcare.com and join guardian nation. If you haven't already, (laughs) it's we appreciate your investment in us, but more importantly, you'll get access to the right gear at at a cheaper price than anywhere else. The right education, uh, the right community. And yeah, you should definitely go join guardian nation. How's that for a shameless plug to round it up?
0: Awesome. Awesome. GuardianNation.com. That brings us to a conclusion of this rapid fire with Jacob Paulson episode. Uh, today's episode sponsors ReadyUpGear, ReadyUpGear.com, and specifically the ReadyUpGear Roger, tw- or not just the Roger 22, but the ReadyUpGear soft seal gel ear pads, which are available for our own ReadyUpGear Roger 22, but also Howard Light walkers and Peltor uh, ear pro. So check out the soft seal gel ear pads. If you want to turn your 50 or hundred dollar ear pro to like, feel like $300 ear pro. Uh, So yeah, check it out guys. And also a lot of other great accessories, training aids and tools and all kinds of things, bags and packs and things at readyupgear.com. Appreciate your support of our sponsors of us of our business businesses uh, to allow us to keep doing what we do guys. Um, You know, you'll note that with this podcast and a lot of the other stuff we do, we don't do Patreon or any of that kind of thing because we'd much rather you get the gear and training and information that you need uh, by shopping on our site, buying video courses from us or joining joining guardian nation. So thank you so much for your support that permits us to continue bringing things like this podcast to you for free and a bunch of other stuff. Jacob, appreciate you so much, brother. Thanks for your time today. Any last words before we let everybody
1: go? Ooh, uh, you should go buy something on concealed for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lots of self plugs here today, but uh, guys, <laughs> seriously, thank you. Uh, it, it is, we're, we're kind of in that holiday season and uh, many of you probably already know or are aware of this but we certainly see it in our dealing with it. But guys, you've, you don't want to be waiting till the last minute to get stuff from the, for the holidays. So, uh, be shopping for those Christmas and other holiday needs now. So it's going to get, we know it's going to get crazy, uh, when it comes down to the wire and, uh, we, we, it's going to, we're going to hit a point where we just, cannot guarantee things will be able to get shipped into you before the holidays uh probably sooner than you've seen in other years past so just a heads up so anyway guys thank you so much have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week and weekend and be safe out there and don't forget to train right train often and train safe so you can fight hard fight fast and fight true take care